Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard Alibis by Jewel yet, but yo! That's my joy! That's my joy! What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life, dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. Ja on Morant, a.k.a. John Hinckley, a.k.a. Nate Yourself, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I chat with David Jameson. David's got a new album entitled Late Bloomer dropping on May 6th, and guys, it is an absolute delight. We have a great conversation about, well, a great many things, and that is coming up in a bit. So here we are, and April is almost over. This year is flying, man. You know, this past weekend was Record Store Day, and much like Bandcamp Fridays, I love Record Store Day to see my community supported. In this case, independent record stores. For those that don't know, Record Store Day is an event every year where special vinyl and CD drops come out that are only available at independent retailers as a way to get people out and get their feet in the stores to spend some money. I had my eyes on so many releases this year, but even as the host of a wildly popular music podcast, well, your gentle narrator could not afford to buy up the block, so to speak. So, Saturday, I hit up the Rock Shop in the Plymouth Meeting Mall. It's the closest record store to me, and, uh, you know, they have an awesome collection of new and used vinyl. As I walked in, I immediately headed to the Record Store Day section and saw only one other cat perusing the wares. But in his hand was one of the main releases I came out for, the replacements drop, unsuitable for airplay, the Lost KFAI concert. I had that pang of fear as I waited for him to step away so I could see if there were any others left. You know, did I miss my chance? Had I left the house 10 minutes earlier as I had planned, would it be in my hands and not his? Well, I waited my time quantum jumping and playing sliding doors in my head, and as soon as he walked away, I pounced. Boom! There it was! One copy left! Success! I wasn't gonna have to cut a bitch today! They had a few other releases that I had been eyeing up since the release announcements. You know, the uh, Tegan and Sarah Still Jealous acoustic re-recording of So Jealous, the Handsome Boy Modeling School first album, and uh, Melanie Chisholm's release Northern Star. Hmm? What's that? All right, fine, I won't hide it. Uh, Northern Star is the solo debut from Mel C of the Spice Girls. Whatever. That was a dope album. Look, we're displacing the guilt and we're embracing the pleasure, okay? Yeah. Sunday, uh, Katie came home from a trip to her sister's and we made our way out to hit up the great Siren Records in Doylestown. And immediately I spotted the Rentals Midnight Society release and I snagged it with a quickness. That was probably my number one most desired drop this record store day. Some more perusing, and I was able to grab the Golden Smog EP, uh, but still no Jay Bennett and still no Lou Reed. But I did locate a Lee Andrews and the Hearts vinyl in the dollar bin for an epic score. For those of you who don't know, Lee Andrews is the father of Academy Award-winning director Amir Questlove Thompson. So that was a super cool get. 
My lovely lady picked up the Amy Winehouse remix album from last year's Record Store Day and a uh, Cage the Elephant vinyl. So all in all, it was just a great weekend of musical treats. Then we headed to McGurk's for dinner, and while I was sitting there waiting for our waitress, I I saw the Facebook notification from the Where Are You Jay Bennett Facebook page in response to my comment about being unable to track down a copy of the 2LP DVD combo that was one of the top three on my list of once. And their comment said, quote, eBay is your friend. (laughs) Well, of course. How silly. eBay is my friend. So, yeah, I ordered that release, too. So I got almost my entire list of things I wanted from this year's Record Store Day. Though, I'm going to be honest, someone is going to have to talk me out of going back to the rock shop to get that Mel C album. My guest today is a bassist, percussionist, composer, producer who also just so happens to have a doctorate in biomedical engineering. Talk about a multi-hyphenate. He has played drums and percussion in the Johns Hopkins Jazz Band, the Johns Hopkins Symphony Orchestra, and currently in the Lansdowne Symphony Orchestra. Three years ago, he began to teach himself how to play bass. One year later, he released the Heat Check EP, and eight months after that, his first full-length project, Enjoy the Journey, an album that earned him a spot on the list of 12 Philadelphia artists to pick up on Bandcamp Friday, put together by WXPN. His latest release, Late Bloomer, due out on May 6th, is a beautiful album of funk, jazz, hip-hop, R&B, and soul, and features members of The Smooth Show and The Moon Jocks. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, David Jameson. All right, so I'll give it a little bit here. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great David Jameson. David, thank you for joining us today on Yo, That's My John. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So um, before we get started and before I jump into anything here, I I absolutely have to start off with um, the fact that on your new album, uh, Spanish John, um, is my favorite track uh, by far. (laughs) And and, and I feel like it's almost telling by the name of the show, but man, it's such a great song. (laughs) You know what's funny is that I struggled for a while trying to come up with a name for that song. And... um, I went through like, I don't even know, probably five, six different iterations. And, and you know, with a jazz song, you could name it whatever the hell you want, because yeah. there's no lyrics to tie it to. If the song title doesn't match, like, it, th- again, there's no there's no lyrics for it to not match. So I'm thinking of all kinds of stuff. And when I when I composed it, you know, I was thinking about the song Spanish Joint by D'Angelo. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Let's just call it Spanish on and there was a part of me that like I was I was conflicted because I know and I'm sure you know, especially with this, the name of this podcast, like the word John gets overused and abused. Yes. And so and I was like, man, do I really want to like put this out there and like potentially help contribute to a whole bunch of like non Philly people just saying John for no good reason. But it just felt right. So I had to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, w- we were just talking the other day about, um, have you seen the, uh, billboard on 676 that the lawyer, you like, 
read my mind. I was <laughs> I was actually about to ask you if, if you had seen that. It, I, I saw it and I was like, oh, we might need to change shit up here. Um, <laughs> it's so bad. It just, it, oh, it, bothers, it bothers me so much. So yeah. much. It's rough. It's really rough. And um, especially something that like I love so much and just, you know, like it, I, I use the name because it was like the perfect um, encapsulation of what I wanted to get across. Like this whole project was just based on like me loving things. And I just wanted people to talk about the things they love, you know, like music and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and the, the idea is like, uh, it, you know, anything that makes you stop in your tracks and go, yo, that's my, like, that is my job. So like, that's where it came from. And then like, man, uh, like that billboard really <laughs> took, took it out of me. Yeah. No, it's just sad. Cause it's like, you know, when you use it properly, like you are, it's cool. But then when you put a billboard up that says I'm John Morgan, it's just like, come on. I know. Like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> It's so corny. It's so corny. Well, um, let's uh, let's let's uh, jump in a wayback machine here. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about uh, where'd you grow up? Yeah, I so I was born in Southwest Philly. Uh, I was born in Hahnemann Hospital. Rest in peace to Hahnemann Hospital. Oh, uh, lived in lived in Southwest Philly. This is in the mid eighties, um, and you know, like most parts of Philly in the mid eighties, it was rough. And so my parents decided to move out to the suburbs. We went, we moved to Yaden when I was three. And so that's where I spent the rest of my childhood. Um, you know, I, I still say I'm from Philly. People who were born and raised their whole lives in Philly tend to remind me that, no, you grew up in Yaden, but <laughs> I, I still say I'm from Philly. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. It's right there. Um, what, um, what were your parents listening to when you were growing up? Like what kind of music was playing around the house? Um, it was a lot of, so in terms of radio, we're talking WDAS, um, and WJJZ again, rest in peace. WJJZ. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's funny because I, you know, I play a lot of jazz music now and it's, it's what I gravitate towards, but I did not like it growing no. up as a, as a, as a, as a younger kid, not at all. Like, you know, my father would have it on in the car and I'm like, Oh God, this is so boring. I don't like this. Uh, and of course now I have much more of an appreciation for it, but you know, um, <clears throat> WDAS, um, all of the R and B classic soul, of course, nowadays it's like R and B. What do they call R and B? Throwbacks, which which just means like rap songs from the nineties, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. And maybe late nineties. Yeah, they kind of get into like the early aughts a little bit, and it's like y'all y'all were not playing this uh, <laughs> at that time, but now apparently that's the music that that they, that they play. Yeah, it's funny too because uh, I don't know if you saw it or if you follow uh, John Morrison, but um, he just shared a, an old article where um, DAS was talking about moving into that old format, like of just you know avoiding hip hop and avoiding stuff like that because they were like, ah, that's somebody else's lane, and that's we're we're not we can't do that. And now it's just like <laughs> it's almost interchangeable with any anything else from the you know. Yeah, it's 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 crazy how much things have changed in, you know, what, 15, 20 years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. What were what were you uh, what were what were you feeling while they were listening to jazz? You said you weren't really vibing with it. But what was what was your. 
I mean, I definitely appreciated the stuff that came on, like, DAS, you know, the R&B and stuff like that, you know, the, the Luthers and, you know, the Stevies and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I, I definitely love that music. Um, and then me, myself, I was doing, you know, I was more Power 99. And then, uh, what was it, 103.9 when that, when oh, that yeah. first came on? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was much more into hip-hop R&B, obviously, given when I the time when I was growing up. Um so in addition to like your your classic R and B, you know, it was like your 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 Nas's and your Jay Z's, um, you know, <clears throat> of course getting introduced to like the Dirty South music in like the late nineties, early two thousands with like you know Outkast and getting introduced to like UGK and stuff like that. So it's it's that kind of mismatch. And then of course there's gospel because you know we grew up going to church. Um, and even though I'm a heathen now, um, sorry, mom, if you're listening, um, you know, I definitely grew up listening to all that. So, yeah. What, um, when did you, um, start kind of gravitating towards, uh, making music? Like, were you taking any music lessons back then? I, it's funny because in, in grade school, I actually resisted, um, taking music lessons. Like my mom would try and push me and I just, I just wasn't really interested as much as I listened to music. I just didn't really have much interest in trying to play it. Um, And it wasn't until maybe I'd say probably like around eighth grade. So end of grade school, right when I was about to go into high school where I was thinking about um, trying to actually play. And that's, that's when I started getting into drums and percussion Oh, uh, that's cool. Like, um, did you, were you, were you taking lessons or did you, um, play in school? I played in school. So they have, um, they called it, they call, they call it lab band for like people who are a beginner in, in music. So that's what I took in ninth grade. And then once you, t- you take that for, I think it's just one semester and then you would move on to the, the regular concert band, um, that the school had. And so I played percussion all throughout high school um in you know in terms of like a concert band format and then my last two years there i also played drums and percussion in the jazz band and so that's really when the appreciation for the jazz music started it started building from that point so you're talking you know 16 17 years old yeah what um what what kind of uh drew you to the drums of all of the uh instruments it was just, it was the coolest one. Yeah. It was the coolest one. And I think I mean I'm sure there's something innate about, you know, rhythm and and all those kinds of things, but it just it was it was the coolest one. And so it was like being able to sit on this throne and it's it's called a throne. I mean, come on. And and being able to just, you know, rock out on whatever. And you realize too, and I didn't know this at the time, but you realize as you continue playing music, like the drummer is the most important person in the band. Like they're not always getting the shine that they should be, but anybody who's in a band that has drums knows the drummer is the most important one. It's definitely true, you know, and like, I forget who I was talking to about it, but like, you know, um, a bad drummer can ruin a great band very quickly, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you watch a drummer change and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this band sounds like, you know, like a whole new, uh, a whole new piece of work, man. Like, um, no, the drum, like I, it, yeah, all, all praise to drummers, man. Like I, I have nothing but respect. I could never get, um, 
my four limbs to do different things to be able to play drums because my brain is just so like linear and focused. So I was always just a guitar player, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, so, so when you started in, um, in jazz band, um, I like, um, did you have to play Birdland? Cause I feel like everybody had to play Birdland in jazz band. No. Uh, oh, I want to say yes. Yeah. I feel like I did. Um, one of the ones that stuck out was, was the 25, or six to four that's what it's called that's that's the one i probably remember enjoying the most that we played in jazz band in high school that's a that's a that's a great track man um what what high school was that this was archmere academy uh okay. down in claymont claymont delaware okay so um at that time you know you're playing in in uh in band and stuff like that are you playing uh outside like are you jamming with anybody or is it just strictly school it's strictly school. I mean, honestly, and so it's funny because, you know, the album that's coming out is called Late Bloomer. And a large part of the reason why is because I, I did not enter the quote unquote Philly music scene in that way until I was in my 30s. Like, I've been playing music since I was a teenager in some way, shape or form. But in terms of like, trying to form a band or, you know, doing gigs or even just writing myself. I was, I, I didn't start doing any of that until very recently. Wow. That's, that's, that's incredibly fascinating. Like, um, was, was there a hesitation to it or did it just, it didn't present itself? No, it just, it didn't present itself. It was one of those things where like, I was just kind of happy doing what I was doing, you know, show up and unload my percussion gear and, and do whatever I needed to do. And, um, Honestly, it wasn't really until I started picking up the bass that I got more into like, all right, let me actually explore what this music scene is about, meeting different people, learning where all the all the great spots are, um, and also getting into, you know, actually writing and composing music. Yeah. Um, did you did you play um you where did you go to college? I went to the Johns Hopkins down oh. in Baltimore. Did did you play uh, in that in the in the college band at all or? Uh... Yeah, so I, I played in a few different outfits. There was um, I, I filled in as a percussionist for the Hopkins Symphony Orchestra um, one semester, and we had a like student run musical theater group called the Barnstormers. I played drums uh, for a few of their shows. Um, I sung in the gospel choir. I cannot sing, but it's a choir. So, you know, everybody else drowns me out and I sing like bass and baritone. So you can't really hear me anyway. Um, but I would always like kind of nudge the choir director to be like, Hey, so can I like play with the musicians? Like I can pull out like some bongos and just do whatever. And then he would humor me and let me do it occasionally. Um, and then I did play for one or two semesters, um, again, drums in the, in the jazz band there. So it's, there's all these different pieces, you know, that eventually I guess kind of came together. Yeah. But you, you, you kept, you kept playing through it. Like you kept, uh, engaged. Um, what, what, what kind of, what kind of shows did the Barnstormers play, put, put on that you played with? Oh gosh. Wow. You're trying to take me back now. I, I, I'm sure I still have like the little, you know, uh, pamphlet that they, that they give out at the show. I can't, I can't remember offhand yeah. though, which, which shows we did. 
I'm a I'm a ridiculous uh, musical theater kind of uh, fan. Uh, I, mm. I just I kind of exposed that in the last episode, but uh, but yes, I uh, I love I love some musical theater. Um, playing those shows and stuff like that. Um, did you ever have any uh, any issue like uh, uh, performance issues live in those settings? Because there's some big crowds uh, getting into college there. Mm, I I feel like. With the jazz band and the musical theater, no. I think with the orchestra, it's funny because in orchestra, especially as a percussionist, I mean, you're generally the only one playing your instrument, right? You're not one of 15 or 20 violinists or, you know, one of four French horn players. Like, there are other people in the percussion section, obviously, but, like, there's one snare drum. There's one bass drum. There's one vibraphone. So when you mess up it's pretty obvious <laughs> that you've messed up there's nobody to kind of cover over you to to drown that out that's wild um what so uh the the jazz band like uh, how many piece uh is that like at that time um is that like a full one one of those larger sized ones or it was on the smaller side i mean it was probably about I want to say maybe 10 to 12, but, you know, full complement of like drums, bass, horns, uh, guitar. Okay. Uh, Okay. Um, so through all this, uh, what, what were you, what were you going to school for? I actually went to school for mechanical engineering. So complete opposite end of the spectrum. That Um, is wild. Yeah. It's so even though, music is my passion and I've been doing it for a good long time now. I I'm also a huge science nerd. And so, um, you know, in high school trying to think about what it is that I wanted to do for a living, you know, entertain the idea of being a doctor ultimately decided I didn't want to do that. But I was like, I like math and science. Um, what, what can I, what can I do with that? And somebody at some point said engineer, and so that's that's what I that's basically what I went and did. I, I originally entered as a biomedical engineering major and switched to mechanical. Um, and then when I went to grad school, ended up doing a biomedical degree. And that's you know what I do for a living. But yeah, it's uh, com- again complete opposite end of the spectrum. That is so wild. That is so wild. And you you have a PhD, correct? I do, yeah. So, so why am I not calling you doctor this whole time? Like that's that is a flex. Don't put that. Don't put that aside. That should be on no, the on man, the album that's... title. <laughs> Somebody was like, "Oh yeah, you should call yourself Doctor J," and I'm like, ah, uh... yeah, it, you know, we already have a Doctor J yeah. in Philly. Like, I don't, don't want to step on the toes. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so, so you graduate, you, you, uh, you get your doctorate and, and, and you're working where, how did, how does music reenter, uh, your life? Like, how do you, how do you, uh, keep it going after the, uh, leaving college? Yeah. So in, in grad school it was actually kind of a lull. I didn't play much at all for the five years I was there, even though I was, I was at, you know, I came back home. I was at Drexel, um, for grad school, but just, I guess, just being so busy and, you know, as a grad student, you're also not really, you're not as tapped into like what's happening in the university and like the student body and all the different clubs and activities. 
And so even though Drexel had j- j- those same or similar opportunities that, that Hopkins had, I just didn't get into them. And so it really wasn't until I, you know, defended my thesis and, and had finished up grad school that I was like, all right, I really need to be intentional about playing music again. Like, cause I, I loved it and you know, I enjoyed it and it's, it's just, it felt like I, I was missing it. And so I, um, <clears throat> I had looked up different, you know, like community bands and community orchestras. Um, and I found, I found a couple and eventually ended up with Lansdowne Symphony. Okay. Orchestra. That's and I've a, been playing with them now for, whew, I think this is my eighth season now I've been playing with them. Wow. On percussion. Yeah. That's awesome. What, um, like, uh, what are, what are those performances like? Like where, where, uh, where 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 are they held? Where because uh, I'd love to come check something like that out. Yeah, we um we actually have a show on Sunday, May first. That's our next one. Um, and we perform at Upper Darby Performing Arts Center. So that that big old performing arts center that's part of Upper Darby High School. That's oh. that's where our performances are. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. So so how does this transition occur um of you know however many a few years ago where you decide um yeah i guess drums are cool and that's where the throne is but now let me pick up the bass like how where did yeah it's funny because you know some people some people master one instrument before they move on to another i just decided to move on to a different instrument and i shouldn't say move on because again i still play drums and percussion but um i don't know it was one of those things where i just i it's sort of, again, similar to when I decided to start playing music in general and felt gravitated towards percussion. I, I think I've always kind of felt gravitated towards bass as well. Like I just, I think about some of my favorite songs and the first thing that comes to mind in a lot of cases is the bass line or it's for a song that I've never heard before. If it's a really dope bass line, like I'm drawn to that. Like, you know, lyrics are cool. That guitar solo is great. But that baseline, though, like that's that's where it's at. So I just on a whim decided to buy myself a Christmas present and get myself a bass guitar and start learning. it. This was uh, what was that Christmas 2018 and Jesus and just went from there. It's 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 absolutely insane because um uh spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't hear, heard David play you're like a phenomenal bass player so like the fact that you've only been playing for what three three four years now like that's just absolutely mind numbing to me like I just I can't even imagine like <laughs> did it I I'm, I mean I'm gonna say it did whether you say so or not but did it come naturally like did it take a while to kind of pick up the mechanics or I, I will say this. I think that my my background um, with percussion and drums and just the rhythm in general, I think has really helped me learn the bass quickly. Because when you think about it, the bass, to me anyway, is is like that perfect link between the rhythm section and whoever is playing the main, you know, lead melody. Um, and so I have that rhythm part down and that's the part that I, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of steeped in. And I think having that made learning the bass guitar easier for me. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, that connective tissue, it's kind of like living in both worlds of like, you know, <laughs> there is the melody, but it is also so tied to, you know, the root of the song. Like, uh, um, that's wild. I, I don't know that I've thought about it that way, but like it absolutely, absolutely makes sense. Um, how, how long was it until you were kind of starting to feel like composing your own pieces? That was... Well, I, I started right jotting things. And I'd say probably about mm, maybe six to nine months in, I would just, a lot of it was really born out of me just kind of messing around, you know, yeah. I'd be practicing and just kind of messing around with something. But hmm, that little, that little lick sounded pretty good. Let me, let me expand on that. Um, and so I had all these little ideas that I would like, you know, maybe record on like voice memos on my phone or something. And then they would just, they would just sit. Um, and it honestly wasn't until the pandemic hit that I really decided, all right, let me, let me take a, a good listen to what I've come up with so far and see what I can expand. Um, Cause in that, you know, at that point it went from just some interesting little, little licks little groove or whatever to, you know, all right, let me, let me see if I can actually build a song around. Yeah. Um, was, um, I, I only know it as the first thing you put out, but was Kelly drive the first, uh, the first thing you kind of, um, fully put together there or. It was, it was actually, yep. That was the, that was the first one I was working on, you know, again, just trying to learn like some basic, um, you know, blues songs and, in doing so, I came up with that that progression, and it has the same, you know, one to four, back to one, five, four, one sort of progression that a lot of that a lot of blues songs do, with a with a little turnaround in there. But yeah, that's again that that's that's where it was born out of. That was the very first uh, lick that I came up with that I actually developed into a song. That's incredible, man! Like out the gate, like I, I, I'm so envious. I'm so envious. If I could pl play you the first song fully formed that I put together, um, well, we'll we'll first say uh, in 2022 we would um, have to take all of the lyrics away from it. But uh, the, uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, it was it is definitely no Kelly Drive. That's for goddamn sure. Like, uh, um, well, let me ask you this though: When was how old were you when you wrote your first song? Okay, I was like uh, 15, I think, or something like 14 or 15. Um, right, and so I was more than double that age when I when I wrote this. So I, I think some of it is just, you know, just the maturity, maturity. of it and, like, understanding music in general. Definitely true. Okay, uh, you made me feel a little better, a little better. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I tried. Thanks, thank you. Uh, when did you, uh, so when did you start, like, trying to uh, play with other people um, on bass? Like, were you, were you hitting open mics and stuff like that? Or did you know anybody that you kind of just connected with? And it's like, hey, we should get together and jam sometime, or? Yeah, I started going open mics. Um, so let's see, if I started playing, you know, we'll say December 18, it was summer of, 2019 that i started you know going out in earnest and trying to like actually play a bass with other people and not just at home by myself um i had <clears throat> i had been out to to time which is my favorite spot uh down there was it 13th and samson samson yeah and um 
you know, there's so many great musicians that, that, that come out of that place. Um, and one of my friends has a band called the smooth show. Um, I'll just put out a plug. If you haven't heard him, you should definitely check them out. And I would actually sit in on percussion with them. Um, and that's how I learned that time had an open mic. And so I started like, you know, probably May or June of that year. So I've literally been playing bass for like six, seven months going to this open mic. And if you've ever been to time for their open mic, you know, it, I'll put it this way. Any open mic is going to have a, a good mix of, you know, levels in terms of ability to play music. That's true. The time is always consistently to me at the top. Like you're going to still have some people that, you know, you're like, all right, you're, you're just starting out. But so many great talent, so much great talent uh, that goes to those open mics and it really is intimidating. And so again, imagine me with a bass. I'm not a singer songwriter, right? I'm not a lead. So I'm not going to like sit up there and like sing and play my guitar. I'm like, first of all, I need other instruments playing with me. And I was terrified, but I was like, I'm going to do it and just see where it goes. Um, I made a a point to like record myself when I would go up on stage at these open mics. I was so nervous that first time I didn't record it. And I'm glad because it probably was trash. (laughs) Not even going to lie. But how, but how good did it feel? Oh, it felt amazing. Yeah. And I kept coming back and I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep getting better at this. And it's not just keep getting better, but it's also like the environment. Like it's just, it felt so good to be in there with all these other musicians from all different walks of life. And, you know, again, all different styles of music. And it's just, it's, it's my favorite open mic. I mean, it's my favorite spot in general in the city, but it's, it's my favorite open mic to go to for sure. Well, you know, and uh, we, we we're going to get to it in a, in a bit here, but um, the uh, the Tuesdays at time uh, that closes out uh, late bloomer is a a first of all just an incredible jam, um, but I think like a beautiful homage to um, a spot that obviously means very much to you. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad you I'm glad you you heard that. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it's, uh, absolutely incredible. Um, so, so you, you lay down Kelly drive that you, you put that out and then, um, and then heat check. Um, so like at this point, like, are you feeling like, uh, cause it, it is a heat check. Um, like, uh, <laughs> um, at this point, are you like, it, where, where's your confidence at? Um, because like, I, I gotta think it's pretty strong. Um, by the time you get to that EP. It, it was it was strong enough um, as, as the name implies, you know, especially for anybody that watches basketball, you know, you start feeling yourself a little bit and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to pull up from 40 and take this shot and, and see what happens. And that's that's basically what that EP was. Um, it you know, it, it came out was that September of 2020. So we were still 
pretty much in the in the height of the pandemic and you know kind of just coming out like the full lockdown phase um and i was just like you know what if i'm gonna be stuck at home all spring and summer why not just kind of see how this recording thing goes and that's that's what that that's that's how that project was was born was that it was recorded at home or it was so with the exception of i'm trying to think there are two tracks with guitar on it and um one of them also has some synth and so a friend of mine nick he recorded those also at home but everything else was recorded by me in my in my basement with my little you know 25 key midi keyboard and my and my bass that is crazy what what's your what's your um writing process like um in something like that because like you know uh i'm uh i i am a bit of a singer songwriter so like that kind of idea makes sense to me because i'm just like ah the song is just this core here and then you know i just kind of layer stuff on top but like creating like instrumentals and stuff like that is like you know especially like stuff that feel has like a improvisational feel you know as jazz does um what what's kind of like uh does it all start with the bass for the most part yeah i mean it's like i said before like with kelly drive you know it 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 started out with a bass line um something i liked recorded it maybe came back to it days or even weeks later and was like all right i like this what kind of vibe am i getting from it um what do i want to do with this with this bass line from there, if it's something that I want to explore further, usually I'll end up trying to layer drums on top of it. Um, and, and that is, again, informed by, in most cases, you know, again, what kind of what kind of vibe am I going for? Am I, do I want more of a Latin feel? Do I want, you know, a, a straight four on the floor? Do I want, you know, a swing or something like that? Um it's kind of what it's it's what the it's what the groove calls for and you know just how i'm feeling um and then from there still trying to stay true to whatever vibe i'm going for and then you know then i'll try and lay keys down on top of that just to get a, a basic chord structure i'm by no means you know a piano player but i i know enough theory i guess that i can yeah put down chords where needed um and then I just think about, okay, well, what other instrumentation might I want on top of this? You know, do I want a lead guitar? Do I want a sax? Do I want, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, usually when I'm getting to that point, then, then I'll probably outsource the rest of the, the recording yeah. to, you know, whoever, uh, whoever I have that's available that, that wants to lay something down. That's crazy. Uh, so, so you know, you you put together heat check and you put that out. What was the uh, what was the reaction to it? Like, uh, were you were you able to kind of share it with um, like the time crew and stuff like you know, like everybody from the open mics and all? Or yeah, a little bit. I mean, so you know, when it came out again, this is this is fall twenty twenty, and so it was like right. It, it was it we were in that weird period where the case numbers for COVID had fallen and they were like right about to start creeping up again and so i was able to go out to a couple open mics you know in that early fall period and play a few tunes and it was it was it was so great to just hear people reacting to it 
and 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 liking what I had put out. Um, but that was kind of short lived because again, you know, that was right. I don't even know what variant at this point. There's been so many of them, but you know, whichever variant that was decided to take off, you know, late 2020, and so it was like stuff was getting shut back down again, and you know, so that 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 made it tough. That made it tough. Yeah. What what was your uh, what was your pandemic life like? I mean, besides the you know obvious, it, it was uh, hell for everyone. Uh, but like, what was <laughs> like you know clearly you got super creative during it um, and kind of hunkered down. But um, uh, were you were you uh, able to work or? I was. It, it's funny because I switched jobs right at the start of the pandemic. Like I left my job in what was that that was probably march of end of february 2020 and i remember going in for like exit interviews and there's like a tv on outside the the main conference room and they were talking about like oh there's this covid19 you know how newscasters talk about a thing when it first starts like they talk about the internet and they're like the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you hear you hear that now, and it sounds ridiculous that they said it that way. That's how they were talking about COVID nineteen at that point. And you know, so of course none of us knew it was going to turn into what it turned into. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I left that company end of February and started a new one. Uh, started working at a new company um, in end of March. So literally like right after everything had shut down. Um, fortunately it was, you know, I was able to work remote. Um, and so I, I will say that one of the things I'm like really grateful for is just being able to have meaning, you know, my living, um, during this, cause so many people were affected, you know, losing their jobs and losing their livelihoods. And, you know, thankfully I, that, that hasn't been the case for me or my wife, you know, we've both been gainfully employed throughout this whole thing. So it's, you know, we've been, we've been fortunate, like you said, COVID was, and still is hell. Um, yeah. but we've been, we've been able to maintain our, our health and our sanity for well, sanity. <laughs> For the most part, but did you did you get weird at all? Because I feel like I got super weird during the pandemic. I I did, and I didn't notice it until I started getting back out, and I yeah. was like, "Oh wow, I'm, I'm awkward now." What happened? <laughs> it's I've so, never been a yeah. It's so weird. Like I've always been a very social person, and now I'm just like, oh, I don't know that I want all these people here. <laughs> like, right? And you're like, oh, should should we even all be together? Like what? Is this right? I don't even know anymore. It's so bizarre. It, this it's this weird shared trauma, and like, like I just, I like, I've, I, I bring this up uh, at my day job a lot, and like, whenever things start getting kind of into a weird part, I'm like, can we all just take a minute and just accept how like the last two years has really just screwed everyone up? Like, like, just accept it and say we don't know what we're doing because everything's so weird now, you know, and and we can all start oh. in that place you know i wish more people would would acknowledge that because i feel like a lot of a lot of people are just like no we're just going to keep moving like this never happened and it's like no that's that's not the healthy way to go about this like i think we should all regardless of like your you know position on mass and vaccination and, and you know your 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 
your tolerance level for being out and about, like, regardless of all that, let's just all accept the fact that, like, we've been through a lot yes. in these last two years. We need to talk about Bruno. Like, <laughs> it's, 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 COVID is not Bruno. We need to talk about Bruno. Um, but no, so so then, you know, the, the heat check, you put that out, that, that and then you, you don't stop, and then enjoy the journey. You got a, a full length um out and that comes out uh may 21 like were you just like well we're locked down again i guess i might as well compose (laughs) a crap yeah you hit you you hit the nail on the head that's that's exactly what happened i mean i i had the funny part is some of the the songs that are on enjoy the journey i had actually started the same same process where i'm coming up with these different baselines that i "Hmm, that's interesting and i came up with those while i was still in the process of like recording and doing the post-production for heat check. And like I said, COVID decided it didn't want to stop. So I'm back home still. And I'm like, all right, well, let's, 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 let's expand these. Let's see where it goes. And that, that's honestly where the title of the album came from. Cause it's like, all right, I'm on this like musical journey now. And let's just enjoy it and see where it goes. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not a signed artist and not really trying to be one. Um, and as much as I love music and there's times when I daydream about quitting my job and just becoming a musician full time. Like I know that I, I do enjoy what I do for a living. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy in that. And so it's like, all right, this, this music thing, it's, it's great. I love it. And I will do it for as long as I possibly can. Um, and so let's just try a new thing and, and just see where it goes. You, if you listen to it, I think anyway, it's, it's a little bit more experimental, you know, mm-hmm. trying out some different, uh, <clears throat> some different sounds on there and some different concepts. And like I said, it all just kind of ties into the, the overarching theme of like, all right, we're we're on this journey let's just just try and enjoy let's see where it goes that's awesome and then you so that comes out and that starts you know that got some press from um i saw um xpn talking about it in their uh you know um their their band camp posts and stuff like that um which is uh, is phenomenal um we're, we're like did you um did you start to get like a good response uh from from that like was there any xpn boost to the uh to the album yeah, I mean, you could definitely see like the uptick in listens after after that happened because it's kind of like, oh, all right, well, XPN's legit, and they they just co-signed him, so there must be something going on here. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, I started getting more people being like, okay, uh, you know, I need a looking for a bass player for such and such. You know, are you are you available? So that like those opportunities started happening a little bit more again they were limited because we were still, you know, in the pandemic. Um, But definitely started getting a little bit more notoriety there. I think it's funny because I think about how for me, I kind of did the opposite of what a lot of people do, which, you know, a lot of people start out and they play gigs and they write music and they just have this like for lack of a better word, backlog of, of, of songs that they've written. And after they've kind of built a following from their shows, 
then they put out some music. I just decided to just put some music out there. No one had ever heard of me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm doing it in the reverse that, that most people do it. <laughs> it. It works, man. It, it worked. Um, so, um, and, and then like, uh, you donated, uh, some of the proceeds from that album. Um, talk a little bit about that. Um, what was the, uh, the black project, right? Um, yeah. So for the, for the first two projects I had donated the first one, um, oh man, I can't actually remember the name of the foundation now. Um, but I had donated money for when I released Heat Check and then I donated a portion um, to the Black Project. And I had gotten in, I'm trying to actually think of how I got in contact with the founder of Black. Oh, a friend of mine introduced me to her. He actually, so he does a lot of um, like beat mixtapes and he had this really dope cover for one of them that he put out. Um, and I was like, Oh, who did that? Cause I'm, this is, I'm, I'm in the stage of thinking about, you know, getting artwork done for, for my project for enjoy the journey. Um, he's like, Oh, this is uh, my homegirl Rochelle. He's like, I'll put you in touch with her. And so we got to talking. Um, and in addition to all the like, you know, design and graphic design work that she does, she leads this foundation called the black project. Um, they do a lot of work. She's based up in, in Boston. Um, they do a lot of work surrounding like, you know, literacy and exploration of the arts and stuff like that um, for, for kids. And so it was one of those things too, where it's like, we're in this pandemic. I don't do this for a living. Like I'm not trying to release this music to pay the bills. And so why not, use some of the proceeds to like help out because as you know as we alluded to earlier it's kind of like we all we all could use a little help especially in this time so why not why not help out a, a worthy cause that's admirable as hell man i i respect i respect that a lot um very very cool um so like the uh so that so that comes out and then um things start opening up again um are you able to start to play those songs out yeah i played a few of them i played um played midnight marauder that one was a lot of fun i think that's probably my favorite one on that on that project um so i had a chance to play that one i actually did this wasn't playing out, but I did like a little zoom listening party, um, for like friends and family and stuff. So that was, that was really cool to just be able to like, cause for me, I just, I want to be able to like share the music and like, ex just make it a communal experience. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it, it was, it was fun for me to be able to have that experience of like, all right, we're all going to get together in this case not in person but on zoom and just I'll, I'll talk about like the creative process of the album like what songs influenced this particular track or you know how did this particular idea come about for this other track here and so it was it was it was great to be able to do that but getting back to your question um yeah you know i went went back to doing the open mics and things like that um had a few chances to start 
playing some of those tracks and because i can't seem to stop for some reason again was writing new songs while i was in post-production for enjoy the journey i'm writing new songs for what eventually became late bloomer and actually had a chance to do um spanish song before it was before it had that name was able to uh do that one at times so that that one was that was a lot of fun that was like i'm still kind of ironing out the kinks of the song and just kind of want to see where it goes sort of thing yeah uh so so you know bringing us to late bloomer which ladies and gentlemen may 6th make sure you uh are checking that out and uh you know jump on Bandcamp and and, and uh buy that and all the rest man like like i said yeah i'm i'm an enormous fan of your output right now like uh, it's very inspirational and like uh it just sounds really great like it sounds really great um but moving to late bloomer you um you know are kind of out of the 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 bedroom self and um you recorded this um with a with with the band um in 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 a live kind of almost live to tape um setting tell me a little bit about the uh process of you know that transition like did it did it feel fantastic to be able to um kind of emote with other players um the short answer is hell yes <laughs> <laughs> the long answer is you know so listen the first two projects were all done in my basement and you know again even though there are some other artists that appear on there they're doing those those parts remotely and sending them back and i i had said to myself when i put out enjoy the journey i was like all right whatever this next project is I'm going to make sure that I'm doing it in a studio with a live band because it was, it was important to me. Like I said earlier, that, that communal experience and just being able to like make music at, in that moment, obviously you have a song that you've crafted, right? But ultimately the music is made in that moment, regardless of what the, you know, chord chart or the lead sheet says, regardless of however you, how many times you rehearsed it, like it's made in that moment. And thinking about, you know, the music that, that I listened to that, that inspired that album, you know, is a lot of older, mostly jazz music. Um, and even some more recent stuff, like not terribly recent, but more recent than sixties and seventies. You know, like like Voodoo, for instance, um, and and just hearing about like how that album was made, and you know, people just kind of coming in and out of the room and bouncing ideas off each other, and I wanted that experience. Um, so I I had the songs written and just kind of sat on them until it was like, all right, these these case numbers have gone down enough where. I feel comfortable being in a, in a room with a bunch of people for a few hours uh, in order to be able to record it. And so I, I knew, I knew who I wanted on the album. Um, thankfully they were all available and, and we, we made it happen, man. The, the, I think what, what you hear on this, on this project is it's, it's exactly, you know, that, that spontaneity, um, that you just, quite frankly, you're not going to get when you are recording things in silos. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, you um, you 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 mentioned voodoo and stuff like that. There is definitely, you know, the occasional song that de- that has that kind of neo soul feel to it. But then there's also, you know, like Spanish John and stuff like that. Like, um, what what um kind of draws your attention as you're putting the bass? Like, do you let the bass line kind of dictate where you're where you're headed with that, or are you like, let me sit down and see if I can write um you know, a neo soul song or, 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 uh, you know, kind of a, a hip hop track, like, uh, like rap snacks or, you know, like, are, are you consciously, um, sitting down to kind of fit that mold or like write something like that? Or are you letting the bass tell you? No, I just, I, I, yeah, I let the bass tell me, um, it's, it's, it's what I'm feeling at the moment and what I've started doing with my, you know, songwriting process or really my like i guess my pre-production process is like i will pull together songs that just kind of speak to me in the moment um and just put them in a little playlist and periodically just go back and listen to them and think about like okay what inspires me about this song you know is is it the is it just the overall feel of the song? Is is it something about the drums in the song? Is it is it something that the guitar is doing that that speaks to me? And just again, being able to kind of pull those pieces together. And so it's it's not a thing where I'm sitting down and being like, all right, you know what? This album definitely needs a rap track. Let me yeah, yeah, let yeah. me put put down a rap track. No, it's like all right. I just did that little doom doom doom. And I was like, okay, I like this. It's super simple, right? The baseline is incredibly simple. But I just, I started doing it and I just, I was like, all right, you know what? Let I'm, I'm in front of my computer while I'm practicing. I got, you know, Logic open. I'm like, all right, let me, let me play around with a little drum track in here and put one down and did the baseline. I was like, okay, I like that. I like that. Let me record the baseline now. And then that's, that's basically how that, that song was born. It's, it's, it's super simple. It actually, in some ways kind of harkens back to like some of the older uh you know hip-hop where it 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 it, i mean you think about early hip-hop and it's born out of you know those like those breaks in in like your funk music and your disco music and a lot of that is 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 like percussive it's it's the back line right It's Mm -hmm. it's the percussion it's the drums it's the bass maybe some rhythm guitar. And that's, that's, that's what I wanted for that song. I wanted to really keep it simple. I had actually kept racking my brain about being like, Oh, what are the little elements can I add? And then ultimately I was just like, no, nah, I'm not going to, it's going to be those three and that's it. Yeah. Well, obviously other than the lyrics. It, um, it, it, it definitely, um, has a, a, a perfect pocket for it, um, to the point where, like, I know there's only two people rapping on it, but I feel like it, it, it definitely has the feeling of, like, if you were at an open mic, it could very easily snowball into, like, a posse cut or, like, a cypher. Like, it, it's, it's tight like that. You, again, I'm, I'm very glad that you heard that in the song because that, that is exactly the vibe that I was going for. It's like, all right, you know what? We're, we're, we got to this point where a beat just happened and a baseline got put on top of it. And now somebody's coming up to the mic and rapping. And that, that's, that's the feel that I wanted that song to have. That's great. Um, also, um, uh, I got to uh, commend you for a uh, perfect uh, Ooh, David um, to open the song. <laughs> up. That's, that's fantastic. 
That that is courtesy of my better half. Um, she is not a huge fan of it, but I was like, listen, when I asked you to record it, I said, I'm going to use this on a song. And I don't think she believed me. And now it is on a song for everyone to hear. Well, it fits perfectly. It is great. It is so great. Um, I, I And uh, here's the deal. Here's another thing. Um, I, I have to admit, uh, when I first heard, <laughs> it's it's almost embarrassing. When I first heard "She Don't Love Me," I was like, "Man, this is a great blues song. That girl really did him dirty." And then when I and then and and then you know I'm reading I'm reading the the press and all, and I'm like, "Oh right, America. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it." I'm like, <laughs> but I felt so dumb because like it's so clear as day, and it is it is perfect. Like it is so perfect, uh, perfect encapsulation of um just bullshit i mean like just the but um tell me a little bit about um the process of putting that together because you know like i said like it it's it's a it's seemingly like a just a tight blues song but um works so perfectly and is just full of levels yeah that so from a instrumental perspective you know the again that song was it started with the bass line i had actually come up with that one um right around the time when i was writing kelly drive but it was one of those songs where it just it felt like it needed that like real old school blues you know like down south blues country blues feel and i could not get that sound that i was looking for from just you know again throwing a automated drum track into logic and adding the bass on top. Like I knew it needed a full band. And so I sat on it for a while. Um, and then in what was the summer of 2020 when, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it was all the different, all the riots were happening across the country. Um, I decided to try and sit and actually write lyrics. I hadn't, never sat to write lyrics before um but it just felt as you know again it's like a thing that i felt felt it in my heart and felt like i needed to get it out um ultimately those lyrics did not actually end up in the song but that's where the concept of the song was born um when it came down when it came time to actually you know complete the song um, from a lyric perspective, I had asked my friend Dane, who, you know, incredible, you know, multi hyphenated guy, um, plays all different instruments and, and sings really well, but also has an amazing knack for writing. Um, and I was like, I know he's the guy that could, that could pen lyrics to this, that, that would work and that would really fit in the moment. Um, and so I actually sent him my own draft lyrics or actually no you know what when i talked to him i said here's the concept that i that i want i was like i can send you these lyrics or if you don't want me to color your opinion at all i'm literally just going to leave you with that nugget of it's a song about a black person's relationship with america and i'll send you the instrumental and you run with it and he decided to do the latter. And literally, I sent him the instrument. Like, we talked on the phone about the concept for the song. I sent him the instrumental, I'm assuming that night. And, like, 
don't know, two or three days later, he comes back with the lyrics as they are in the actual song um, in the in the released version, sent me a demo with him singing it. And I was like, that's perfect. Yeah, this is this is exactly what I was looking for. And some of the things he talks about in there, um, you know, some of the pieces about like, you know, she just like she won't she won't let up. She won't listen. Um, like those things I had written myself. And so it was cool to see like my draft, my little draft lyrics and then see what he came up with. And and just from that little nugget of here's what I'm going for in this song, that that parallel that was made. Um it was really, it was great to see, and I'm, uh, I'm so happy with how that that song turned out. But I, I just want to make you feel better. You are not the only person that uh, thought it was just a simple blues song about, you know, a really bad breakup. It is a song about a bad relationship, just not the one that you would originally think about. Dude, it was like um, when, um, you know, the end of The Usual Suspects, when uh, Kevin Spacey starts walking normal and he turns that foot and he starts that, like, that was like, uh, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When it hits you, it hits you. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay. And okay. I immediately had immediately had to put it on again. And, and then I was like, you are so dumb. You are a dumb person like i was so mad at myself <laughs> but it's it is it is a powerful and uh beautiful song so when when you know getting together with the band and stuff like that what um did anything change from like the the framework of what you had composed like did anything come to life or surprise you mm, i think the biggest the best example of you know again making music in the moment and how it can differ from what you originally wanted was is is Spanish drum because the um well first of all the that main melody that the sax plays you know I had written that again just using like a virtual a virtual instrument sax with logic and um Stephen Mitnall the the saxophone player on the album he he took it and he actually shifted the phrases back by an eighth note and then when he originally played it, I was like, mm, but that's not how I wrote it. And then I was like, but you know what? The whole purpose of this is like for us to bring our respective like parts of ourselves together in this in this song. And so I was like, you know what? Roll with it. And now I like it better yeah. <laughs> than the original, you know, how the melody is that I did. And again, it's the, the actual notes themselves are all the same. It's literally just like each of those little phrases is like kind of shifted back by an eighth note. And I, and I love that part of it. Um, the other thing too is, you know, we call it a reprise after, after that final, uh, you know, downbeat and that, that sustained note. And then that, that guitar comes back in. Um, I mean, that was all improvised. Really? That was all improvised. That part was not written at all. Um, it literally, we, we were, rehe- we had one rehearsal before we actually recorded everything it was like a week prior to the the recording session and we we play through the song and then nick uh the guitar player just starts strumming that 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 rhythm that you hear and and then uh david david criswell the keys player comes in with the 
sound. That was a terrible impression. But <laughs> when you hear the song, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, and then the drums come in and I'm like, oh, all right, I guess we're just jamming now. And so I, I started playing. And thankfully, I had the foresight to record the this rehearsal. And then we, we finished and I'm like, OK, that's going on the album. And so we just kind of on the spot, like arranged that part. And then when we got to the actual recording session, we let it we let it rip. That's hot. That is so hot. Yeah, that's uh, like, you know, uh, uh, I don't I don't know if you uh, have heard this phrase before, but uh, that's kind of my John uh, on the album. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, I, I love that track. I absolutely love that track. So are you guys going to are you guys going to be able to um, are you are planning any live performances of the album or? Yeah, I have one actually on the release day. So it's a re- release release party release show uh, Friday, May 6th. It's at the Royal. It's the spot uh, out in Glenside. Um, so I'll be performing there with a quartet. Um, and then, uh, so the Smooth Show band and three of the members of the Smooth Show were um, on this album. They have their own show at time on, what is that, May 20th. It's a Friday. So I'm going to sit in uh, and and play a couple of the tunes from from the album it's going to be it's going to be a good time that's awesome i definitely will have to try to make one of those um because like i said this this album like it is the perfect uh like my day job i'm i'm doing like a lot of uh portal work and excel sheets and stuff and it is the perfect album to put on like it is it it definitely is a soothing vibe um and i uh i am a fan like (laughs) i love it um kudos man thank you Uh, what what a great release and i can't wait for people to be able to hear it uh at this time i'd like to put you through the jauntlet if you like these are uh, the standard questions that i ask all of my guests which starts with the one hit wonders um and it's just the verses you're just picking uh who's your favorite uh first one who do you got billy joel or elton john oh i can't i can't go against benny and the jets so i gotta go elton yeah did you um have you ever seen the um or heard um the bismarcky version of benny and the jets it's the greatest thing ever recorded i don't think i have it's on um now i gotta go check it out yeah it's on the beastie boys anthology but he he also performed it on the chris rock show way back in the day when chris rock had that show on hbo and that live performance the first time i saw it i was just like i feel like i just witnessed greatness like there were so many great performances that was the first time uh i saw uh outcast do bombs over baghdad was on the chris rock Mm. show like it was he just had like the greatest musical guests back then um, you know what's funny is that my so my introduction into that song was not the Elton John version. Uh, Mary J. Blige has a song called "Deep Inside," and it samples uh, Benny and the Jets. And I don't even remember how I found out that it samples Benny and the Jets, but it, at some point I did, and I was like, "Well, let me check out this Benny and the Jets song." Uh, and I was like, "Oh, this is incredible!" That's cool. That is so cool. Yeah, I get th- th- what song did I just find recently that I was like, oh, that's a sample. Um, damn, I'm not going to be able to remember, but there was something like, and then I went and found it and I was like, I think I like this original version better. And like, <laughs> I can't believe it because like it was something like ubiquitous too, like something I've listened to my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, and I was mm-hmm. just like, I never knew that was a sample. Like, <laughs> right, great. right. Great when that happens. Uh, number two, uh, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Ooh. 
Um, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Joan Jet because Joan Jet is actually local. Yes. So I gotta go. I gotta go with the the hometown girl. I like it. I like it. Uh, the next one: Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? I'm just gonna come out on the record and say I don't like you for this question. Trying to make a <laughs> choose between these two legends. Um, if I have to choose, I'm going to go with the Queen of Soul. I got to go with Aretha. Yeah, yeah. The um, I, I I think I've mentioned this before, but the reason that one came in here was uh, I don't know if you heard like uh, it was like at the Grammys a few years ago. Um, like oh well, a long time ago now, but um, that um, um. Uh, Beyonce referred to Tina Turner as the queen. I guess Aretha got pissed about it. Oh right, yep. yep so yep, so yep. that's how that's how that that's how that one made its way in here. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next one, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Uh, I'm going with Nirvana, just off the strength of "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Yeah, I feel it. I feel- I, yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge rock guy. I'm be honest, but yeah. like I love that song it's it, it's it's a banger it is definitely a banger uh janice joplin or stevie nicks Ooh, man again tough i'm gonna go stevie nicks though okay that's okay. what my gut's telling me okay the um the big one the cliche one beatles or the stones again this was hard i don't want to say the beatles because it's like i feel like everybody would pick the beatles but also i'm gonna pick the beatles yeah yeah it makes sense that makes sense i'm gonna throw one in here um specifically for you as a jazz guy um and it's not a gotcha question but it kind of is uh miles or coltrane oh (laughs) oh that's so tough that's so tough i again i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go philly and say coltrane i like it I like it. I uh, someone someone one time uh, asked me to choose between uh, Kind of Blue and Love Supreme, and I said that I picked Kind of Blue, but it was suspect because Coltrane's on it. So like I was like I was like yeah. it's the only reason why it's like it's like the get out of jail free card. I was like I don't feel like I have to choose between the two because I'm kind of choosing both. <laughs> That's a good way. That, I mean, that's that's a good cheat code. I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You can you can put that one in your pocket. You got that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the final one hit one or Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven. Mm, I can't go against Bohemian Rhapsody. That's that's. I mean, they're both classics, but that is a classic. Yeah, it's epic. It's so epic. Um, the next one is the top ten countdown. Uh, I don't have to tell you this, uh, John. You can make it be whatever you want. It doesn't have to be music. Um, it can be anything you want it to be because, of course, it can. Uh, number one, what was your first John when you were younger? What were you, what was the first thing you remember being obsessed with? Oh, my first John that I was obsessed with. Obsessed with. Uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah. When I grew up. Yeah. Like at you know like that that age of like five six years old i wanted to be an astronaut my parents bought me a telescope um i never took it out of the house and it's not like we live like way out in the birds somewhere so there's still a fair amount of light pollution yeah. but whatever i had a telescope um i had i had books about may jemison the first black woman in space and of course her last name being similar to mine um yeah i was that's that was the first show i was obsessed with that's awesome was science always a, a thing for you um i mean it's... It, yeah it, it it always has been um i think 
as, as long as I can remember, I've always been interested in it, whether it's, you know, biology, anatomy, chemistry, physics, all of them. I just, yeah, I'm, I am a giant nerd as much as I don't like to necessarily <laughs> admit that, but I am. It's cool. You play it off well. You play it off well. Uh, what's your current job? Uh, number two, what are you into right now? Ooh, I'm, I'm trying. Okay. I can't say I'm currently into it, but what I'm trying to get into, the okay, I'm trying to get into gardening. Yeah. Yeah. We, so my wife and I moved out to Elkins park last summer. Um, we have a house out here and we actually have like grass and there's already a little uh, strip for a garden on the side of the house. And so we've both been trying to get our green thumb on her more so inside the house with indoor plants and then me more so on the outside. Um, I just planted some, some sunflower seeds and I just started seeing some seedlings today. So I'm like super excited about it and just trying to, you know, make sure I keep them alive. That's awesome. Uh, That's that's, so cool. That's my current zone. I love it. I love it. Number three, what was your first concert? Who first concert? Um, so not counting anything as like a real little kid that I don't remember. I'm gonna say Alicia Keys. Wow, songs in A minor tour. Yeah, I was fifteen, sixteen. That's awesome. Who uh, who who uh, was opening for that? Do you remember? Oh, you know. It, it's going to sound wrong, but I'm almost positive this is the answer. I think it was 50 Cent. Really? I I can't I can't verify that. Yeah. But I feel because I'm like, when else would I have gone to see 50 Cent? So <laughs> I feel like the, I feel like he was the opener. That's crazy. That's crazy. Somebody can fact check me on the internet and tell me if I'm right or wrong. But please I, I don't. Like I want to live in a world where that where that's a fact, <laughs> man. Like that's. <laughs> I love it. Uh, number four, what was your last concert? What was the last show you went to see? Um, this past Saturday, I went to see the Rebirth Brass Band out in uh, Armour Music Hall. Very cool. Very cool. How was it? No, it was it was incredible. Um, local guy, Nick Greeley, uh, and his band opened up for them. And I had never heard of Nick prior to this. Um, but best believe I have uh, started to listen to his music now because he put on a hell of a show. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, well, Rebirth is they're yeah. legendary. And yeah, it was uh, it was such an amazing, amazing show. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, number five, what is your favorite concert? What was the best show you ever went to? Best show. That's actually an easy one. Prince. Oh. This was 2004. Uh, so this is the musicology tour and his opener was Jill Scott. Oh my so, God. Yeah. Philly, Philly yeah. in the house. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, that was an incredible show. Um, I will just put as a, as a very close runner up, uh, Stevie wonder. He had the, uh, I think it was the songs in the key of life tour. Not too long ago. I want to say back in like maybe 2014, 2015, 
That's awesome. Yeah, I saw I saw Stevie once, and uh, he played for like three and a half hours straight, <clears throat> right? And uh, oh. he he gets done, he walks off, and he's done, you know. And this guy in front of me was like, "Ah, oh, man, no encore." I was like, "You ungrateful son of a bitch!" <laughs> like, I was I was so angry. And then we're walking in the car, and I was like, "Well, he didn't play Master Blaster, but yeah." It's, <laughs> but, it's also like he's Stevie. One is one of those one of those guys where it's like you know what you owe us nothing. Like exactly you. You have given us so much that I can't even be mad when you don't when you don't give me an encore. Yeah. Um, before you go to the next one, I just again I'm gonna give another honorable mention. Go right I ahead. saw a show with uh, Questlove and D'Angelo, just the two of them. It was at um, oh, what's the one down like Fourth and South? Is that TLA? Uh, yes. Or yes. Is that, yeah, Theater yeah. Living Arts. Yep. Saw them. This show. I think doors opened at like, I don't know, 9, 30, 10. These guys didn't go on till like 1230 in the morning. And there's no opener or nothing. I think there might've been some, you know, just general music playing through the PA in the background, but like, there's no opener, nothing. But we were all so excited to just see it. Literally, again, it's just Questlove and D'Angelo. That was an incredible show. That's unbelievable. You know, you were talking about voodoo earlier and like that's that's one of my time machine um, hits. Like if I ever had a time machine is uh, Electric Lady during the recording of voodoo and like Water for mm. Chocolate and um, um, Moses album, uh, Black on Both Sides. Like, my God, like everything that was going on in that studio at that time is a certifiable class. It's yeah. And it we don't I, I feel like we don't talk enough about how like all of that music, like you said, it, it all came from the same place right around that same time. Like that whole Neil soul vibe of that moment was really, a lot, it was those artists, like it was the soul Quarians and all that. And it, a lot of that was just born in that, that little part, that little time capsule, that little moment right there. Yeah. Produced and, so much music. And it's such a bummer. It's such a bummer that it didn't last. Like, like I think yeah. about, I think about like, just, you know, how incredible every single one of those people were and just how, like, I don't want to say self-destructive, but like, like that's just getting in your own way. You know, it's, it's just to, to not continue it on. And, uh, I'm, I do, I I like, I miss, I miss that period oh, yeah. of music. It was, yeah. Great. I mean, that's, you know, thinking about being, being from Philly at that and growing up at that time when you've got, I mean, you know, you've got your, your most deaths and your Talib qualities and your D'Angelo's, but, you know, speak specifically for Philly, you know, you got music, soul child, you've got Bilal, um, Vivian green. Yeah. Jaguar. Like, I mean, right. Just, yeah. yeah there, there was so much that was like tangential to this. Well, some tangential and some, directly related to like that whole Soquarians movement and everything. And it's just so much good music was coming out specifically from Philly at that time. Yeah. And you know, um, like, uh, it, I, I always like the, that quest love had his kind of finger in all of it, like to see mm -hmm. kind of his success and to, to watch him win that Academy award and stuff like that. Like it's, it's overwhelming. Like, Oh I, man. I, I'm so proud of that dude. Summer of Soul is fantastic. Oh, can I tell a quick story? Yeah, I got go a quick ahead. Quest Love story. So I went to see The Roots, and this would have been, let's see, it was my sophomore year. So this, this would have been 04, 
or maybe like early 05. And at the end of all their shows, Questlove throws his drumsticks into the crowd. And I caught one of them. And I'm super excited. Of course, you know, again, growing up in Philly and being a drummer at the same time, I'm like, you know, I like basically idolize Questlove. So I'm super excited I got this drumstick. I I put it, you know, I'm go back to my dorm and then there's like a little uh, a little like ledge up by the ceiling and I put it up there for like safekeeping. Right? And when nothing happened to it. Fast forward like two months later, we move out. I forget the drumstick. No. Uh, so I literally I called, I'm like back home when I realized I left it there. And I actually drove down to Baltimore to see if like somebody found it, if it was in the lost and found it, no one found it. I'm devastated, right? Now fast forward, I don't know, probably six, seven years. I I had a pair of like the Questlove brand drumsticks and he's doing a show. He's DJing at this place called Drinkers. And I don't even think it exists anymore. Drinkers West is like, I don't know, 38th and Chestnut or something like that. And I live walking distance at the time. I go down there to the set, you know, I'm hanging out with my friends or whatever. It's 2 a.m. They're all like, all right, we're going home. I'm like, no, no, no. I, you don't understand. I have Questlove drumsticks in my bag. I'm getting him to sign these drumsticks. And I literally hung out till probably about 3, 3.15 in the morning waiting for him to come out and just was like, oh my God, Questlove, can you sign these drumsticks? And like, I think about it now and I'm like, he's probably so fucking annoyed with me. <laughs> but I don't care because I got him to sign those drumsticks now and I did not lose these. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so I got to ask, um, did you ever post on okplayer.com? I did not. No. Okay. I was uh, so I used to I used to post on there a lot and uh on there Quest used to um uh later in the life of the website or whatnot, he used to um post um uh, uh, the week's guests for Fallon and would ask for, you know, suggestions for walk on music and stuff like that. And I got really mm -hmm. deep into that and a bunch of songs played and all that. So I was going to the tonight show, um, uh, in, in the audience and I just left a message. I go, uh, Hey quest, uh, by the way, I'll be at the tonight show taping today. Uh, if you want to give me a shout out, no big deal. Right. So we're there the show happens and then the warm up guy comes out and he goes, Hey, how was everything? Did everybody enjoy it? And everybody's clapping and everybody's like, kind of, you know, he's like doing his spiel and quest walks over to the guy and like whispers to him. And he goes into the guy goes in the mic. He goes, I, I used to post as captain Nish. And uh, he goes, is the captain in the house? And I was like, uh, Oh, what? And he was like, uh, Quest wants you to come oh, down here. So I go down on the Tonight Show stage. He hands me four drumsticks. That's a, so, it's so funny. <laughs> so what? he gives me four drumsticks and, and I walk back to my seat and I'm like, I don't even understand what just happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, oh, that is amazing. But yeah, so, uh, uh so drumsticks, man. <clears throat> and like, of course, you know, uh, he is a fantastic drummer. Um, number uh, back yeah, we to got, the, we went off the rails. We uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Oh, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. I wish I could go see a Jimi Hendrix show, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, number seven, name an unappreciated John. Name something you wish had uh, some more shine to it. 
Mm. You know, sound guys. Yeah. Sound guys, I don't know if they're necessarily unappreciated, but they're definitely underappreciated. Uh, those guys who sit in the back and make us sound good on stage, uh, even though sometimes we don't know what we're talking about and we tell them to boost some level and then yeah. it's like, I mean, I could do that, but then you're going to get feedback. And then you like do it anyway and then he does it and then you get feedback and he's like, I told you. Yeah. Or, you know, you got a you got a, a set with, with five guys in the band and then you, you let a random flute player come up and he's like, Well now I gotta adjust the mics for this guy. Like shout out to sound guys. I love it. That is a beautiful answer. Um, and I uh, absolutely agree. Like they don't get enough love. They do not like, and, no. and, and probably because like a good sound guy, you don't even know exists because he's just making everything sound beautiful. Right. That, yeah. That's a good point. Perfect answer. Uh, number eight, what's your favorite album? Oh, that is so tough. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to cheat and give you two. One I mentioned already was Voodoo. Um, and two, from that same era, I Just Want to Sing. It's Music Soul Child's debut album. Yes. Absolute classic. I love it. I love it. That's a perfect one. Um, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release, even if you have to be apologetic for it. Mm, I'm going to say Anderson Peck. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think when I first... Uh, discovered Anderson Pack. It was when Malibu came out, so he had other works before that. And so I, you know, listened to Malibu a billion times, then went back and listened to the previous stuff, and then everything he's put out since. It's like, all right, yep, just feed, you know, injected in my veins. Yeah, I don't want to say I was late, but what my my entrance was um, shortly after Malibu came out. Did you see the uh, tiny desk he did um, on NPR? I was yes. just like, holy shit. Like <laughs> what a phenomenal artist. He if you haven't heard it, there's an EP. I wish I had looked up the name, but there's an EP he put out with all covers. Um and it it's it's uh it's it's amazing. I gotta, I gotta check see that. if I can find it real quick. But yeah, yeah, it's this it's this really awesome EP. It's like probably five tracks of just some covers that he put out unbelievable like what what uh, anything of uh the oh here it is it's called cover art okay um the one that stood at seven nation army there's a really great really? rendition of seven nation army that he does on there yeah i'm gonna phenomenal. check that out as soon as we finish this out like i gotta i gotta hear that that's that sounds phenomenal um the uh 10th and final uh question of the day uh what's your favorite john of all time what 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 do you love Mm. Ooh, that is that's tough. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one song, which is hard because it's like, what's your one favorite song? Um, but the one that comes to mind is a song called "Rising Up" by The Roots. Uh, it's also got Wale and Chrisette Michelle on there. It's not. I wouldn't even say it's like their best song, but it's probably my favorite of theirs it's just a really just fun track it's actually got this great um like dc go-go vibe to it as well um and it's just it, the, the song just it feels like you know 
summer. It feels like great weather and good times and can't beat that. That's that's awesome. I I respect that one hundred percent. I like, I literally feel like, um, you know, when people um find uh bands like from the sixties and stuff like that, and the, and and like someone like kind of does like a reissue of all their stuff, and everyone's like, why were they not the number one band ever? That's how that's how I feel about yeah. the roots. Like they've they've just consistently put music out, uh, brilliant music out. Um, and I don't, I, they're, they're one of my unappreciated Johns. I just, I feel like the, like, you know, it, it, you know, like I said, uh, Questlove has an Oscar, so I guess he can't be that unappreciated at this point, but, but, you know, it's a, it's a long time coming and it is well, well, uh, overdue. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, unless you're from Philly or unless you're like a true hip hop head, I feel like you're probably not giving the roots the credit that they deserve. It's so true, and and same goes for Black Thought. Like just the uh, just oh, a yeah. lyrical beast should and, should be in everyone's top five. Yes, hands down. Yep, cannot disagree. I love it. Um, so uh, the album uh, is Late Bloomer coming out May sixth. You got uh, those shows lined up again. Tell the tell these people again those dates. Uh, the one on the night of the sixth, right? Yeah, so one on the six itself, that's at the Royal in Glenside. Uh, you can go online to the Royal Glenside and get tickets. Um, and then I'll be I'll be sitting in with uh, the Smooth Show at Time on Friday, May twentieth. Um, got some other potential shows in the works. So hopefully by the time you hear this and then go online and check me out, those will be posted too. That's awesome. That's awesome. So if these uh, fine folks listening to my show would like to find you on the internet, what's the best way to track you down? What's your, uh, what's your socials and your web? Yeah, you can, you can go to davidjamisonmusic.com. It's Jameson with an I, not an E like the whiskey. Uh, I, I'll put, I'll give you the IG, even though I'm hardly everyone, but I feel like I'm almost like contractually obligated to do so. Uh, it's David J on the one. It's the number one. And uh, Facebook, same thing, David J on the one. That is awesome. David, thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for creating uh, not just beautiful art, but just an an incredible song in Spanish, John. Um, (laughs) I I love it. And uh, I I very much appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. Absolutely, man. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. My thanks again to David for joining me on the show today. Be sure to check out David's new album, Late Bloomer, coming out on May 6th. You can find more of David's music by visiting www.davidjamisonmusic.com. Find David on Instagram at davidjontheone on the one and on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash davidjontheone. on the one. And you can catch David Jameson celebrating his album release live at the Royal in Glenside on May 6th. If you haven't already, I'm going to need you to go ahead and subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, if you want to earn yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world, you can do just that by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yothatsmyjohn for updates and live streams. 
Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo That's My John and search Yo That's My John on the YouTube to find the Yo That's My John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out, and touch some John. That's all I got for you today. You know, man, things are pretty great. And I hope they're great for you as well. And if they're not, and this finds you at a moment where you may doubt yourself or you can't find yourself believing it will ever get better, just know that I love you and I believe in you and I am here for you. Thank you for spending some time with me. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be. Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott. Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. Yo, that's my John.